When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need from America's Mortgage Mentor with more than 35 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings. You'll learn to advance your mortgage practice quickly and efficiently. Also, be sure to check out Jen's book, Launch, How to Take Your Business to New Heights. Available on Amazon. For a signed copy, contact Jen at jenduplessis.com. Now, here is certified mortgage planner and CEO of Kinetic Spark Consulting, Jen Duplessis. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Today, I have a special guest with me uh, whom I've had the pleasure of meeting at uh, Mortgage Revolution, uh, a.k.a. MREV, a.k.a. Just the Tip, right? Hashtag Just the Tip. Um, where he and I both were speakers in Vegas earlier this year, and um, I was just so impressed with him that I felt like he needed to be on our podcast so that he can share what brought him to all this success that he has and wait till you hear his numbers. So let me introduce you to Adam Smith. He is the president and founder of the Colorado Real Estate Finance Group. It's a commercial and residential real estate finance firm, which Adam, I'm going to ask you about the commercial side too. And he started his company in 2005 um, and has a, a gazillion accolades. Um, most recently, and one of the things that I thought that was um, just fantastic, uh, well, I shouldn't say, most recently was 2017, he hit the Hot 100 Mortgage Professionals by Mortgage Professional America. Um, and I thought that was really wonderful. Um, and then, you know, a cute, uh, not a cute one, but a nice little accolade that he has is that the National Mortgage Professional Magazine has ranked him um, the top 40 most influential mortgage professionals under 40 for five consecutive years. Um, and this is back from 2009 to 2013. And no one else has ever received five years in a row. So I think that's, or five times generally. So I think that's pretty cool. And then lastly, um, he's very published. Um, he has numerous, has written for numerous magazines and chronicles and, and all kinds of good stuff like that. So, um, you know, he brings a lot of wealth of knowledge here to us today. But are you ready for the most impressive part? So in 2017, he and his team funded 470 transactions. I like to call it that you helped 470 families. Um, and roughly $160 million in production. And he is in Denver, right outside of Denver, Colorado, which is where I'm from. Um, so what is your average? Well, first of all, welcome, Adam. Glad to have you. Thanks, Jen. I'm glad to be here. So what is your average loan amount? I, I can't calculate that real fast, but I would say... Uh, last year, I think it was about $360,000. Uh, it's yeah. probably up a bit this year, but that's just typical of the real estate market, obviously. Yeah, because you guys are... You guys are really in a hot market right now, and you know that's pretty cool. So we are. I think our average single-family home in the Denver metro area just breached five hundred and forty thousand dollars. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, okay, so you're in a you're in a um, not a low-end market, not a super high-end, but you're on the upper echelon. You're but you're above median income, right? Absolutely. <laughs> as far as that goes, yeah. Uh, 
So tell us a little bit about one of the things that I didn't see in your bio is kind of how you got started. I mean, why, why did you get into this business? Um, you know, and how did you get into this business in 2005? I mean, obviously you're, you're now over 40, so there's plenty of years of doing something else there that we'd like to hear how you got into our lovely um, industry. Well, truth be told, it was just dumb luck. I was recruited into it. I really had no idea what I was getting into. It really is the first and only adult job I've had. Oh, wow. Uh, I basically started doing it right out of school. And I started with a company called Mortgage Pros. Yeah. And they, I don't think they're in business any longer. In fact, I think it was uh, shortly after the branch here locally uh, went out of business. And it was a bit of a surprise to everybody who worked there when they did go out of business. And I decided the best way to avoid that ever happening again would be to start my own. Right. Yeah. And so you started in 2005, given the fact, you know, you had no idea because I, I shut mine down uh, December 31st, 2006, not knowing that the credit crunch was coming. But right. I'm thankful, I'm thankful I did. But you started this without knowing that this was coming up. So how did, how did you survive that? Period of time. Those, uh, well, obviously, being a new business uh, is certainly a struggle. Uh, yeah. So we spent a few years dealing with those growing pains, then immediately went into the Great Recession, which added some additional years of growing pains. But I would say the answer to it is just hard work, perseverance. I just was not going to give up. Yeah, I, I think that's really critical, too. I mean, I was talking to someone else here a little bit ago on a different podcast, and one of the things that we were talking about is, you know, the fact that so many people are looking for that magic pill to make their business successful, you know, as a lender, as a realtor, you know, any any type of business, and there is no magic pill. It is it is hard work. And, and it's I, hard work. Yeah, most, most of the, I would say most all, all of the top producers in the country um, have always been hard workers. You know, their ethic is there. They're in early. They're they're later than everybody else where the average loan officer kind of rolls out at 10 o'clock and leaves at 4 and didn't really have a plan for the day. Um, so I, I love hearing that. I love absolutely hearing that. So I would so, say that that's true. And yeah. the night before you and I spoke at MREV, I had dinner with a handful of the attendees, and one of them asked me, what is the one thing you would say you have to do in order to get where you're at? And I said, work hard for 20 years. Yeah, work. <laughs> because that was, I, there is no magic pill. There's no secret sauce. There's no overnight success to it. It's just a matter of getting up, showing up, and doing it every day for a long period is really the critical piece of our success here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think, you know, if you're listening and you're saying, well, God, I don't want to work really hard for 20 years, you know, really, really hard. The thing is, you know, if you don't do lending, you're going to do, you're going to do something else nine to five really hard for 20 years. I promise you. You're going to work more, something. maybe 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you need, you need to, uh, you know, not need to, but one of the great things about our industry is that we do have that flexibility and sometimes that's taken for granted. And I think that, that therein lies the issue, you know, sometimes, but, um, but, you know, no matter what you do, you're going to have to work hard for a while. Certainly. Well, and we all know a true entrepreneur will work 80 hours a week to make sure he doesn't have to work 40 hours a week. Right. <laughs> right. 
That's it. That's so true. You know, that's funny that you bring that up. My son, um, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. My husband is, our daughter is. And, and my son, when he went to college, he said, you know, when he was finished, he said, he went to one of the top business schools in the country. He said, um, he said, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur, so I'm not going to work for somebody. And I said, no, I, I want you to work for somebody because it's too easy to say, you know, if this doesn't work out, I'll go work for someone. I'd rather have you work for someone and say, I'll do anything to not ever do that again. And so now here he is 10 years out of college and, you know, multimillionaire and doing very, very well because he listened to his mama, you know, but he had <laughs> lots of long hours of working. There's no doubt about it, you know. Good. Awesome. Okay. So, so let's kind of go backward because you've been successful for a multitude of years. So let's kind of go backward and, and maybe explain to us, you know, how you started in the business and then what are some of the tipping points or the, the, triggers that started switching you into what has morphed into your empire now. So maybe there's four or five different time frames or different tactics that you had, you know, learned from someone else or, or heard that you should do. And then later said, no, that's not for me. I'm going to move on. So perhaps you can share with us a couple of things that you've done that, that uh, have really turned the, the tables for you. Sure. Uh, starting off in the business and again, 20 years ago, a very different animal. I was literally given a copy of Calix Point, yeah. a cold call phone list, and a pat on the bottom. Good luck. Yeah. I uh, had to learn Calix myself, and to be perfectly honest, I can barely log into it now, and I, I can't even run a credit report. I have to ask my team for help in order to do that. Yep, I um, know before, that. Okay. Um, yeah. Before I get too far down this road, let me make sure that your audience understands that while it's shifted over years, decades at this point, I don't know anything about mortgages. I know enough to keep my license, and even I surprise myself when I'm having detailed conversations with clients about what their loan structure would look like, and every now and then I will say, wow, I really do know what I'm talking about, but I think where I've gotten to is that what I know about mortgages is how to get them. It's how to originate. And I take my role as a loan originator, originating business, very seriously. And if I stray from that role, then my team doesn't have work to do. They don't have a job. Our vendors, title companies, wholesalers, et cetera, they don't have work to do. So I take that trickle-up theory very seriously with a great amount of responsibility that I am responsible for a good number of people having work to do, having jobs, having an income, being able to feed their families because I focus on originating the business. Yeah. So let me put that out there. So originally uh, a telephone and a call list and uh, a copy of Calix, and it was essentially cold call telemarketing. And it certainly has always snowballed from there. But I would say the first big crux, the first big evolution was, and I was still working for this other company, I went to listen to a real estate agent speak about contact management. And he's an incredible guy. He now works for HUD. And he taught us this contact management theory that was ridiculously antiquated, certainly by modern day standards, about making phone calls to people, just reaching out, pick up the phone, essentially dial for dollars, Right. And he had this giant three-ring binder like we had when we were in high school. And in it were four different sections. One was a calendar, and then three were contact pages. Each uh, contact had a page 
one for clients, one for leads, and one for advocates. And every day that first section had something like 23-digit codes written on it, or a dozen three-digit codes written on it. And each three-digit code correlated to a page further behind in the book that was somebody's contact file, similar to what you would see in an Outlook V-card in modern-day standards. And he would call that person and have a brief conversation. Hi, how are you? How's the wife and kids? Subtext for him, I'm still in real estate, don't forget about me. For me, obviously, I'm still in mortgages, don't forget about me. Right. And I took it upon myself to adopt that contact management system wholeheartedly. I still teach it today. In fact, I'll teach it at our Denver Mastermind event here this fall again. And we've modernized it. It's uh, in our uh, CRM. We use Outlook heavily for that. And every day I make ooh, 30, 40, 50 outbound calls. Again, past clients, leads, advocates, non-transactional related just random touches, and it's really one of the biggest pieces of what generates new business for us is yes. good contact management, simply picking up the phone and talking to people. That's awesome. So, and I know you mentioned this at, at MREV too, so, it, so I, normally I would say, oh my God, that's so cool, <laughs> but I've already heard it, right? <laughs> um, but it is, it's so cool. So, you know, one of the things that you just mentioned was, you know, past clients, so clients you've already closed loans for, um, leads that are coming in. So I want to talk about the leads and then advocates, which are your referral partners or clients who are giving you a multitude of leads. Sure. Um, why did you say not transaction? Well, what I'm referring to is that I will probably make 200 phone calls a day, but these are strictly non-transactional related. Do I need to call a real estate agent? Do I need to call a borrower? Do I need to call their insurance company? Do I need to call a title company? Absolutely, that accounts for 100 or more phone calls a day. But these are strictly non-transactional related. I'm not doing uh, a piece of business with this particular client right now. Um, it's literally just a- Feel good. A, well, a relationship furthering effort. Yeah. I just want to continue to build and solidify the relationships with the people that are referring us business. Right, right. Okay, so you're calling them and you're saying, hey, how are you? I'm just checking in. I just want to remind you that I'm still in the business. How's the family? Yada, yada, yada. And it's really just doing that, right? And are you asking directly for business? Hey, do you have anybody you know? Or are you just saying hey, just remember that I'm still in the business. I, I just well, want to know because I know that people are listening are saying, well, what do you actually say? Well, and most of it is subtext, that yeah. piece about the business. And after a couple of decades, people know. Why you're calling. Let me backtrack. The two most important things, loan originators, realtors, car salespeople, uh, anybody who's got a direct-to-consumer sales relationship can do is make sure that everybody they come into contact with knows two things, who they are and what they do. Yeah. So for the most part, these people certainly know who I am and what I do. So a lot of that is subtext. So a lot of it really is casual social type of conversations. I take really good notes during these conversations because with a 10,000-person contact database, I'm not remembering what I spoke to Bob Jones about 90 days ago. But I did take notes that Bob told me his mom was sick. So I'll ask Bob, how's your mom? Yeah. If that happens to be in the notes or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. So it's really social. Now, don't get me wrong. I do think that it is important to ask for the business. If you are interjecting yourself into conversations about real estate, about mortgages, about business, mm 
you have to ask for the business. So I do recommend to a lot of the agents I coach, the, the LOs that I teach, that they have some semi-canned responses just because of what human, certainly American human psychological nature demands and dictates. If it's a relatively casual acquaintance, people always ask, what do you do? Make sure you have a response to that to the effect that it may help you generate leads. If it's somebody you know moderately or relatively well, people are going to ask, again, just human nature, how's work? And again, I recommend having some kind of semi-canned response to that to the effect of, well, I really wanted to do 200 transactions, hypothetical number this year, and it looks like I'm going to fall short of that. Do you know anybody who needs to buy a refinance? Yeah, yeah. The answer should be, you know, directing them or guiding them, nudging them into the, into the fact that, you know, remind remind them that you do this for a living and that you are commission. I mean, uh, not commission based, but referral based. You know, that your business comes from referrals and not to take that lightly. So I think that, Absolutely. you know, and I think that's a really good point because I think a lot of loan officers go, you know, to say, well, you know what I do. I mean, they know what I do. Or they know I'm a lender, but that doesn't. They don't know who you are as a person, which is why you're doing your very social phone calls, you know, to help get them to understand who you are as a person. But not everybody remembers what exactly you do, and they stereotype us, right? And so sure. they might stereotype, like, you know, hey, you're a human being. You actually have goals, <laughs> right? And a life, not, and not, uh, oh a goodness. spouse, and children, and trials and tribulations. Yes, yeah. we're all very relatable. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's great. Okay, so you do all of this. This is what I'm floored about. And maybe you have another CRM too, but you're doing all this in Outlook. I am. So that's pretty interesting because there's so many people that ask me that, you know, the people that I'm coaching are saying, well, you know, what CRM do you use, Jen? And should I have that same one? And, you know, and I heard this one's good. And that was and spent an exorbitant amount of time trying to figure out what one to use when while not using anything during that period of time. So tell us a little bit for the person who's listening and struggling with this and saying, you know, I'm just, I don't know which one to do. I can't afford it. I don't have time to learn it. I don't want to learn it. It's too intensive. It's not intensive. It doesn't cover everything I need. Here you are doing $160 million a year in production, and you're using something very simple that all of us have on our computer. So how do you use Outlook so that we kind of get an idea of ways that, that you know, someone could use Outlook instead of trying to chase down this magic CRM. Well, and I don't, there may be a magic CRM, and I think that that answer is different for everybody. It's you and I both know the very best CRM is the one you'll use. That's it, yeah. That's the answer to that question when people ask what CRM should I use. But the content that I teach, that I coach on, is the spine of it, the backbone of it is zero cost marketing for a repeat and referral business. So I don't want people spending money that they aren't already. You're going to pay for your phone. You're going to pay for your internet right. so on and so forth. And you're absolutely right. We all basically have Outlook on our computer. Yeah. It probably came with the computer. So what a real estate agent or a loan originator would need and could utilize in Outlook is probably 2% of what Outlook's capabilities are anyway. Every day I'm finding things in it that I didn't know it could do or would do. Right. The contact database is very simple to use. V-cards we're all familiar with. The calendar is very simple to use. Obviously, we're familiar with that. And, of course, Outlook then makes that very simple to make sure that all of that data is 
synchronized. It's always live and up to date on my phone, on my tablet, on my computer, on my uh, Chromebook, whatever the case may be, Uh, even on my wristwatch for that matter. So I like Outlook in that sense. But basically, it's broken down, my calendar obviously being the one of the biggest pieces of this puzzle, um, the contact the contact data being the most important piece. That's probably our company's biggest asset, obviously. And in that in your you notes, to... correct? You just put your contact information in your notes, in the notes in the V-card? Correct. Yep, in the notes field. You got it. Yep. Um, and it's the stepping stone. It is the initial stepping stone of any kind of marketing or prospecting that people want to do. If you want to make phone calls, if you want to do a text campaign, if you want to do a fly broadcast campaign, if you want to do a social media campaign, you have to have a contact database. You, you have to have contact. Right. So the contact database obviously being the most important part. The calendar I think second because my calendar is very rigid, very regimented. Uh, a great colleague of mine once said, happiness is a well-oiled calendar. Mm-hmm. So literally from 7 to 8 every morning, My marketing LOA and I are working on birthday stuff. She's posting a specific daily graphic to their social media. She's sending out a mighty text, mass text, with a link to a video we uh, shot that wishes you a happy birthday. She's emailing. Yeah, let me stop you there for a second because you did mention this at MREV, and um, it's funny because I was telling someone, you know, I probably do 17 videos a week for birthdays. Right. And, and the nugget I took from you was, nope, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do one every month <laughs> so that I'm wearing something different and I look different. And then I'm going to send it out to all of these people, but generic in nature. Correct. Right. Because I want people to understand that if they're listening, they're saying, well, how do you do all that birthday stuff with 10,000 people in your database? And now, you know. Yeah. And now, yeah. And now, you know. So, yeah, the text with the with the link to the video. Yeah. Right. Well, our our birthday graphic is identical except for a few changes that occur every day, and we'll change that graphic once a year. The birthday video is the same every day, and we'll reshoot it once a year. Uh, Obviously, we don't want people to see the same video twice. Uh, Same with the text message, with the email message, so on and so forth. Um, But that's really a big piece of what goes on very early in the morning every day here at the core finance group, Colorado Real Estate Finance Group. And then from 8 to 10, 30, 11, some days it bleeds longer than that, I am making a series of scheduled, they're in my Outlook calendar, scheduled five-minute phone calls to clients, leads, and advocates. Right. And okay, so let's talk about why they scheduled. Why are they scheduled? And how do they get scheduled? Is it from your previous call that you say, hey, would it be okay if I called you, you know, November 3rd at 8 o'clock in the morning? Or is well, it... I, I don't schedule it with them per se. I just schedule it with myself. Okay. That's what I meant. Yeah. I wanted to make sure we got that scheduled. Yeah. Okay. So you're having your, you know, your block. And yes. so for example, right now, I know for a fact, the next opening I have is on January 8th of 2019. And I couldn't tell you the exact time slot, 850, 855. I don't know. So I get a new lead today and I enter their contact information into Outlook, and then I immediately schedule that follow-up phone call. Yep. Now, granted, I'm probably going to talk to them 
a hundred times between now and then because we're going to go through the application process and the lending process and the closing process and so on and so forth. And that may take 30 days and then another 60 or 90 days beyond that, that reminder will pop up. And then, yes, once I've had that conversation or left a voicemail and let's not pull any punches, I would say at least half of those calls do go to voicemail. Uh-huh. I would say at least half of those messages go unreturned. I don't care. But then, yes, I'm going to take notes that I left a message, and I'm going to schedule the next follow-up call again another 60, 90, 120 days down the road, whatever your cycle happens to be, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. Whoever the contact happens And birthdays in between, yeah. Now, do you and do and annual, birthdays in between. Do you do annual reviews as well? Quarterly. Quarterly? Yep. Okay. Why now, do you granted, do- we yeah. didn't always, but – uh, it's easier for us to do now because the nature of the business is that if somebody purchased a refinance to home 90 days ago, 180 days ago, even 365 days ago, there's really not a whole lot they can do. Yeah. If, if you refinanced your house 90 days ago, you're not going to get a better interest rate today than you did then. If you refinanced your house a year ago, you're not going to get a better interest rate than you did then. So most of it is just, yeah, okay, there isn't really anything here. We'll call. Hey, we looked at your file. There really isn't anything you can do. If you need to cash out because you need to buy a new kidney, let us know and we'll talk. <laughs> right, right. Right. But right. we'd be hard-pressed to tinker coming. with your three-and-a-quarter rate. Yeah, or if your HELOC's coming due or something like that. Yeah. Of okay. course. Yeah, I understand. Okay, so, so, and I want you to keep going with your day because I love this. I think this is something that people can really grab onto. But um, you, so, you know, the activities that you have today are breeding the activities that you'll have 60, 90 or hundred days out because you're putting in your calendar. Are you blocking that in your time in your calendar? Are you saying calls? And then when I open up that calendar, that, that particular appointment, right, you have a list of the people that you're calling, or do you have a calendar that it just has a hundred appointments on it on a Monday? You got it. They are okay. all individual five-minute appointments. Okay. And I wasn't sure. I just wanted to clarify that just for, so that people can understand um, how, you're, how you're doing um, that. And so that really is what prompts all of the phone calls. So when you get up in the morning, because there was a just uh, – Todd Duncan just did a, um, a survey of top producers. Well, I don't even know if they were all top producers, but of lenders. And 92% of loan officers get up in the day – get up in the morning and don't have a plan. 92% oh, of my, my plan is four or five months out. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And so, you know, uh, some people, you know, have people on annual reviews, you know, so they close the loan in June this year, they'll call in next June. Some people have, um, they do the ABCs, which it sounds like because you said Mighty Text, you, you know, have been part of marketing animals. I've been part of that as well. Um, so some people do the alphabets you know, do the A's and the B's and the C's and do it that way. But what you're saying is it's prompted by whatever activity you did 60, 90, 120 days ago that you, you made the decision at that time, hey, I probably should reach out to them a little sooner than normal, so let me put the calendar in here. So it's all predicated by the activities you did before, not kind of digging into your database. So I want to make sure that and the reason why I'm bringing this up is I want to make sure that everybody understands that, you know, if you have 10,000 people in your database, you want to eventually get to all of them somehow. So how would you start doing this if you're not in that cycle where that you are right now? How did you start doing that? Well, building that contact database is first. No yeah, question. Of course. Everybody you know, everybody you meet, add them into your contact database. Make the attempt to start building relationships, friendships. We all know that friends become clients. 
So that's certainly the first piece of the puzzle. Now, if I'm starting with a contact database of only 200 people, and I'm actually coaching a real estate agent right now that's been in the business for literally decades, and his contact database is like 160. It's crazy. (laughs) How that happened, that he just didn't understand how crucial that data was, Yeah, I guess. But it is. Let's make no mistake and certainly pull no punches. Your contact database is your single greatest asset in your mortgage, real estate, insurance, financial planning businesses. Yep. So certainly building that is first and foremost. Go to networking events. Collect business cards. Um, A big one for us because we do some prospecting with the realtor community, with the real estate agent community, is that our Facebook audience is 6,000 people. And my marketing LOA, every day as she's doing this birthday work, will see if it's somebody who's not in our database yet, even though we happen to be connected on social media. She'll add them to the database. She'll schedule a follow-up call for me, and she'll go through that birthday work. So that is organically adding to the contact database. Yeah. So even if you're just going through your Facebook audience, and every day when you see whose birthday it is, add those people to your contact database. Schedule a follow-up call 30, 60, 90 days beyond their birthday. Do good birthday work. 30 days later, they'll remember it, and maybe you can spark that relationship. Yeah, yeah. Don't do, don't do the social media, hey, happy birthday like everybody else does. Yeah. No. Yeah. I know. Okay. No, All be right. creative and be yeah. fun. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know it's fun. Well, you know, and I always said to some, I don't know, there was somebody a couple years ago, and you know, and I got like 200 happy birthdays online and none of them meant anything to me except the one phone call that I got from somebody. And I still remember uh, it in seven years. Yeah, that's still a very big deal for us as well. Yeah, same, same thing. Okay, so, so you schedule your calls and you're calling past clients, leads and advocates, you know, your, your partners. And then you said that, the, the, that you make about 200 calls a day. So what are the rest of the calls that you're making? And once well, you get to those. They'd be transactional based. Okay. Um, you know, real estate agents calling me, that kind of thing. And don't get me wrong, I, I try very hard not to do that. And we have a good number of systems in place so that transactional-related conversations, real estate agents, borrowers, title companies, et cetera, know to contact my transaction director. They know to contact my administrative director. Uh, these are fancy titles for a couple of yeah. my other LOAs. I have four. Yeah. Um, so... We really do try to, I don't want to say coach, that's not the right word, but to guide them into making sure that they are not discussing transactional business with me, right. that they're discussing it with my team so that I can focus on originating more transactions. Right, right. So to what extent then, so let me ask you this then, to what extent do you have the conversation with the client? So you get the lead because there's a whole multitude of loan officers, you know, in the top echelon that, that uh, meet with people. So for example, I, you know, I still meet with my clients as long as they want to meet, you know, I I prefer to meet. um, And I know a lot of people that do that, but I also know a lot of people that never meet. And and it's just whatever, whatever foots your fancy. But so to where do you do your high trust, high trust handoff? At what point do you, do that so that you can churn and burn uh, because that's really what you're doing. You're churning and burning all day long. So where do um, you let that go and let someone well, else structure? First of all, I want to make sure that everybody understands it's not my fancy. It's the client's fancy. If yes, they want to meet, I'll meet. 
If they want to do it all phone, fax, and email, I'll do that yep. too. Yep, okay. that's how I do it, yeah. So the typical MO in the onset of a transaction will be somebody giving me a lead. I will do uh, an initial interview, as it were. Uh -huh. The application is done online, so once that initial phone call, consultation, yep. interview, whatever we want to call it, is done, they'll fill that out. That information automatically goes to my team. Uh, one of my LOAs pulls credit and does the data entry. Another one uh, pulls pricing and structures deals, that kind of thing. I'll review them. At the time that I'm reviewing them, my transaction director will send an introductory email introducing herself. Hey, we still need to know X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I'll be your main point of contact. If you have any questions, let me know. If I can't give you the answers, Adam will. And we do this in a number of manner, uh, a number of different ways. Uh, that email is one of them. She also sends out a, a link to a video, a pre-recorded canned video that we do. Uh, I think there are seven of them that basically explain each step in the process, and it's me on video uh -huh. um, saying, hey, thank you so much for applying. We've got your application. Here's what we're going to do with it. You'll, if you have questions, contact my transaction director or my administrative director. And then the second one is congratulations. Your file's been put into processing and underwriting. Your file's been approved. Your appraisal's right. been ordered. Yeah. Absolutely. And that yeah. also helps minimize the number of phone calls I have to deal with, the amount of time I have to deal with right. transactional business. So, so I have a key question for you because this is something I had to learn years ago, but I, and I won't give you the answer. I'm just curious. So in your video, um, you tell them what has just happened, correct? Well, it, it's, uh, it bleeds both directions. What has just happened, what's about to happen. There we go. Bingo. Because that's, that will avoid the questions. Um, you know, because if you put out a video, if you're listening in, you're saying, okay, that sounds like a really good idea. You put out a video that says, you know, hey, your appraisal's in, congratulations, yada, yada, yada. You are going to get a multitude of phone calls going, okay, so when's the loan going to go into underwriting? So is my loan ready to go? What's next? You know, if you send out a video that says, hey, we just received notification that the house is going to be, in, the home's going to be inspected or, or your loan's in underwriting, um, and, you know, congratulations, we just submitted your loan to underwriting, and you don't say that the typical turnaround time is 24 to 48 <laughs> yep. Absolutely. You get that phone call, I promise. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Yes, if you're going to do work like that, make sure you're doing it in a manner that's going to save you time, not cost you time. That's right. No that's right. That's exactly it. So let me ask you this. I'm, I'm curious about this. So what is your, what, is, I, not necessarily, I don't need your conversion ratio, obviously, but you know, is your conversion pretty high? And, and if it, and that's great if it is, but what do you do with those that don't get converted? They're obviously in your database. So do you still call them later? Do you call them during the process and they've gone to somebody else and you say, yeah, hey, I'm just checking in. Is your process going good? Do you want a second opinion? Is there anything I can help you with? Or do you just kind of let them go away? What do you no, do with your conversion? Absolutely, we never let them go away until they tell us to go away. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, all of the above. So our mm -hmm. conversion rate is very high. Our business is strictly repeat and referral. So that enables a lot of that. For mm -hmm. the ones that don't, yes, we will absolutely follow up. Is your transaction proceeding apace? Is everything going as you expected? Are there any documents you'd like us to review for an outside opinion? I'd be happy to show you where you could beat them up on rate or cost or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Uh, we certainly love doing that with the big banks. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, there are some people, you know, you just, you can lead a horse to water, et cetera. Right. Um, so yes, absolutely. And then yes, they go into the same cycle. We reach out to them on their birthdays. We'll uh, reach out to them quarterly. Um, I don't think a lot of loan originators are doing this or trying to actually build foster further relationship. And it wouldn't surprise me if a great number of these people where we don't convert do eventually use us for a future transaction because we follow up. I guarantee you that the majority of them that don't convert, nine out of 10, whoever they went with is either out of the business, doesn't call them on their birthday, whatever the case may be. And our relentless pursuit of having that relationship, of having that friendship, enables us to recapture clients that we didn't convert originally. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's a cost-effective way too. I mean, we talked, you talked about uh, zero-cost marketing. It's very cost-effective to to, um, you know, work with people that you already work with. And then the second level is to work with people that maybe you didn't work with, but you have the connection versus the brand new leads, you know, going the wider. So it allows you to go a little deep and wide at the same time um, without, you know, without a lot of um, expense, obviously, you know. Absolutely. So how often do you meet with realtors? So, you're, you know, your day, we got to your day here that's, you know, till about 11 o'clock, you're making all these, you know, extra phone calls, you know, to fill it, you know, whatever your calendar says for you. So what does the rest of your day look like? Is it um, babysitting loans and hovering over your processor and your, and your team like a helicopter? Or are you out gallivanting and, you know, bringing in more business and meeting people? The latter, absolutely. I And don't get me wrong, I think this is one of the biggest mistakes that loan originators make, and I certainly did when I was fresh to it as well. But the amount of time that you will spend babysitting a file is time you could have spent originating 10 more. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I think letting go of that is a big, big deal. And you've got to understand that, yes, some deals are going to fall out. Babysitting them probably isn't going to prevent that, especially if you have a good team in place. Right. But uh, me babysitting a file or being involved in anything the processors are doing would be strictly taboo in the way my team is structured. Yeah. The processors are wizards or sorcerers or something to that effect. <laughs> I don't, I, I am not going to interfere with them because I know they, if they need something, they'll let me know. If yeah. they want to discuss, hey, if we lock here, this is what it's going to look like. If we lock here, this is what it's going to look like. What do you think the client would want to do? Do you need to talk to them first? That kind of thing. But it's rare that a processor would pick up the phone, reach out to me, walk into my office, send me an email saying, hey, I need your help with this particular piece of transactional business. And I absolutely will not interfere with them. Yeah. Well, we'll screw it up. I mean, quite frankly, we do because we're now we're third party. You know, if you've ever seen that, you know, a long time ago, if you told, you know, a story to somebody and whispered it to the ear, by the time it came around the other side, it was a whole different story. Absolutely. And, oh, I'm not even allowed to talk to an underwriter. Company yeah. policy. Adam oh, is right. not allowed to talk to underwriters. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the thing is you don't need to if you're, you know, if your team is catching things and, you know, you're you're having a good conversation in the beginning and you know enough about lending, right? Like you said, sure. you know enough to know it's not going to be a good, uh, a easy deal. It might be a more difficult deal. Then you'll pull your team into, you know, two heads are better than one or like, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, oh, my gosh. Schultz. Uh, Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz said is one plus one is 11. It's not two. two. Two heads together really do think of like 11 people. And, um, you know, so you can rely on your team that way. So, uh, 
Yeah, so you're out, you're out uh, making sales calls, making sure that you're digging into those relationships and, and making it go. I mean, it just, you know, from my perspective, it sounds like you're doing what your highest and best use is, which is talking to people on the phone and you're really, really working on those relationships. So if someone's listening and they don't have a team that can do all the other things and allow them to just originate, what are some of the steps that, that you took and some maybe some pitfalls that you found in getting your first assistant? Or if someone's listening and they have a team, but the team's just not on all four cylinders, what kind of advice can you give to people to create this atmosphere so that there's an understanding and everybody's on board with what the whole team is trying to do, you know, moving forward as a collaborative, congruent group. Sure. And right up front, credit where credits do a lot of my team structure and how I deal with it goes to Carl White. Yeah. Uh, Carl that. has an amazing uh, platform mindset about how to build a team that way. We do it a little differently, but um, every time I uh, see him and explain it to him, he's like, yeah, that's, that's really smart. And I said, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the bottom line is that you must have help. Um, and I think Carl explains it to the effect of, if you hired somebody for 20 hours a week at $15 an hour, i.e., was that $600 a week? Am I doing the math correctly? I don't know. I need to calculate so I'm not really uh, astute. It's $300 a week. Excuse no, $300. Me. It's $300 a week, yeah. It's $300 a week. $1,200 a month translates to 80 hours you just freed up. Does a transaction for you as a loan originator, as a real estate broker, pay you more than $1,200? The answer should be yes. And could you find at least one more deal a month in 80 hours. Well, you if you paid well somebody $1,200 to free up 80 hours of your time, could you find one more deal? You better. You better. You better. So you have to have help. And it started for me a little differently because we were all thrust into unemployment uh, when the previous uh, company I worked, or the only company I ever worked for, went under. So I did take a loan originator and a processor with me. And that processor morphed into an office manager, LOA type of role because it was really just the two of us. The other loan originator uh, never really made it in that industry. And don't get me wrong, we're still friends. We talk on a regular basis. Um, but I think Carl has hit the nail on the head with figuring out exactly what it is you do. Task stuff. Every iota, every detail. What is it you do during the day in your business? Write it down. Figure out the things you don't like or don't pay you well and pay someone else to do them. Yeah. Okay? Find that intern. Find that uh, young uh, kid right out of school, whatever the case may be, and assign them some of those tasks. And maybe they become full-time because your 80 hours has enabled you to generate so much more business each month that you now want to make it 160 hours. Yeah. And then you add somebody else to the mix so that you can have 240 hours getting rid of the things that aren't the things you enjoy doing or don't make you any money. And that's kind of where my team has gotten to now. Uh, four assistants, three processors, an office manager, bookkeeper. And every time we make a change, I bring in lunch. We all go sit in the conference room on the giant marker board. We write down all the tasks everybody's doing every day. We write everybody's name in the middle, and we draw a line. 
okay, this is now your job. This is still my job. This is now your job. And everybody knows exactly what their role, what their steps, what their processes, what their tasks are, day-to-day, transaction-to-transaction. It becomes redundant. It becomes synonymous. It becomes systemized. It almost becomes automated, and it provides far fewer hiccups in the process. Yeah, that's an awesome way to do it. I love the visuals for that, you know, too. And I, I seem to recall that from from my, uh, you know, uh, class, whatever. I went down to the three-day seminar with um, Carl years ago. I um, never have, but I'm doing one with him in Denver next month. Oh, my gosh, you're going to have so much fun. Your, your hand's going to hurt from writing. <laughs> from writing. Well, I, I adore Carl. I would consider him a friend. We've known each other probably close to these 20 years that I've been doing this. He knows full well that I implement a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, to sharpen, to uh, well, yeah, pick up more ideas. Yep. Yeah, we're a compilation of everybody we meet. You know, there's no question. Yes, thank you. Exactly. Yeah, that's totally like it. So when you look back on your career, um, what would you do different? That's a really good question. I would have tried much harder to learn early on that you've, well, two big things. You are not a processor. You are not an LOA. You are responsible for originating the business. Once you've done that, let it go. Do not interfere. Let the people who know how to get transactions closed, get your transactions closed. Yeah, that's awesome. Focus your time and effort on originating. You're a loan originator. Originate more business. Yeah, that's that's. Really I, I wish I had taken that as seriously as seriously as I do now back then. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? Could you imagine? I mean, that's that's just the the wonderful thing about our business is that you know, as you you progress in time, you know, more and more you're going to be able to extract yourself to be doing only the things you want to do. I mean, to a certain extent, at some point, you'll be able to just call only the people you like. Thank you. Yes, exactly. You, I promise all of you listening that if you work hard, if you persevere, if you do build a business, if you get to a point where it's repeat and referral, you will love your work. 99 out of a hundred days, I jump out of bed so excited to get to the office. Most days I can't stand it. I race to get here. And if I don't want to talk to somebody anymore, I don't have to. If I have a borrower who's being abusive with my team, I can oh. cut them loose. Yeah. I'm not bound by that desperation. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what happens when you're brand new. You know, you think every single deal is you have to covet it and, you know, cuddle it and call it George and walk around with it. Yeah, until you squeeze it. it to death. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what happens. And then later you can get to the point, you know, and I, I call it complicate, complementing versus complicating. You know, if there's someone who's going to complicate my practice and my, my team and my people, no, you're gone. Only want to work with people that will compliment us. And um, it's just life is too short, you know. Life is way too short. So what is the what does the future look like for you? I mean, we're talking right now halfway through the year in, in 2018. So what's on the docket for you moving forward? You know, we're in price compression. We're in competition. Um, we're also in now, you know, I'm hearing uh, top producers being let go at mortgage companies because of the weight of their team uh, that's putting pressure on the, the numbers and the bottom line. It's just the silliest stuff I'm hearing. But so you're hearing this stuff. What, um, what does the future look like for you? What are you focusing on? Because you, I know you're looking up and not down. Well, um, <laughs> that's true. I am. Uh, there are a couple of things that are unique. Um, one is that I own the company. I'm a wholesale broker. 
So I get a lot more freedom to do those kinds of things. And obviously, it makes me a lot more competitive. My rates are lower. My costs are lower, those kinds of things. I'm not getting beaten on that. So if it's a dollar competition, it's never an issue. Right. But while all of this is going on in our 15-year history, we just had our biggest quarter ever. Our second quarter of this year was our landmark quarter. So I know that this is all going on, and I hear about it, and I know that uh, there's a lot of margin compression and so on and so forth, but the only person I compete with is me. From yesterday. I just have to be better today than I was yesterday. Yeah, you got it. So that part of it doesn't really bother me. Um, From an individual perspective, a more intrinsic perspective, as I continue to build my team, as we continue to look into the future for things like uh, ESOP and things that I think will motivate them to keep my practice running, even in my absence, I will undoubtedly spend more time doing things like you and I did in Las Vegas, more teaching, more coaching, more writing. I'm a hair away from a second book being finished, those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I would like to be doing nothing but that in 10 years. No, so that's awesome. Working, that's awesome. I'm, I'm working so towards have- further growth, more sustainability, mm-hmm. leading to an exit strategy. And a, and a mini you. You need someone who will make those phone calls just like you do and start developing those relationships like you are. Yeah. Well, maybe. I don't know what that looks like in 10 years. Obviously, that has morphed over the last 10 years. We do a lot of really heavy social media work. We do a lot of heavy video work. So obviously the ability to reach out, to stay in touch, to make sure people know, again, very important, who you are and what you do plays very well in social media, plays very well in video. Uh, So we've done a lot more work in those arenas. How does that morph over the next decade? I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Because we don't don't know. I mean, we don't know it's going to be popular. At some point, video is going to be saturated and something else. Perhaps we'll come. <laughs> I don't know. I don't well, know. maybe MySpace will make a comeback. What's that? Maybe MySpace will make a comeback. Yeah, yeah, that's true. True. <laughs> or, or you know, maybe maybe traditional calendars. We were just I was just listening to someone talking about it and saying that our calendars are so overloaded digitally that that a lot of people are going back to handwritten calendars just to see things. You know, to get a big visual, <laughs> to get a better picture. I said, okay, that's fine. I don't think I'll do it. My daughter uses it, and she's a millennial. She uses both. I, I'm surprised by it. Um, so I remember losing my day timer oh, in some yeah. bushes at a grocery store after I forgot to remove it from the grocery cart. That may have been the last time I did it on paper. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. I know. Um, okay, so I have a, a one last uh, question technically about, well, not technically, but just a techni- more technical question um, about your practice, but about your business as a whole. But what is the, if you can, if you can think of one thing, okay, what's the one thing that continues to surprise you after all these years that you're seeing other people doing and you're just baffled? So I guess I should have said, what, what baffles you about what you're seeing other originators do when you're saying, if you only, uh, gosh, you would make it. <laughs> and I get that. Uh, that's that's be- a good question. Um, and I, I do think a lot of it we've covered. Obviously, yeah. uh, babysitting files and not spending your time originating loans. Uh, working on $15 an hour tasks where you could pay somebody else to do them. Uh, those kinds of things are big. Um, I, 
Uh, that's I, I, I that's hate busyness, to... busyness versus business. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think right now one of the biggest follies I'm seeing are, well, there are two, I guess, but one of them spawns the other, is being behind on what's capturing your audience, whether it is making phone calls or text or slide broadcast or social media, Instagram, uh, Instagram TV, Snapchat, live video, whatever the case may be. I see a lot of loan originators a year or two or even three behind where that's getting good traction. And I think a lot of the problem there, and I'd, I'd like to say I'm wrong, but I don't think that's the case, is that we have now had this ridiculous influx of people who claim to be mortgage or real estate coaches yeah. and don't do good work. And yeah. the loan originators and real estate agents that I see falling into this trap of inadequate coaching Spending exorbitant amount of or no money. Coach. Yeah, or no coach. Absolutely. I, and I think that a lot of what I'm seeing is this modern day, everybody's a coach mentality breeding this antiquated methodology of how to get business because I think it's a lot of people who are definitely following the premise of those who can't do teach. Yeah, I know. And they're teaching things that they thought would have made them successful when they failed at it. And, of course, we're talking about an industry. We're talking about mediums that are so dynamic, so fast-changing, that you cannot be practicing business. You cannot be prospecting for business. You cannot be behaving as a loan originator in a manner that worked two or three years ago and still expect to be producing in the manner that you need to today. Right. Right. Yeah. So I yeah. think it's, those two things you, are the issue. Yeah, it's ironic that you said you say that too because it was a challenge for me because you know and I, I don't know that everybody on on my podcast now knows this because I don't remember. I think I've mentioned it maybe once, um, but you know after 35 years I did retire from lending, um, but I retired at the peak. You know I had I had one of my biggest months the month I retired, which <laughs> you can believe it. But I gave my practice to my husband. You know, he's he's still running with the practice, and the hardest thing is trying not to be involved in it. Um, <laughs> you know, getting getting out. So I, I uh, you know, I, I'm always wondering if people are saying, "Gosh, you know, is she a coach now because she didn't do well?" well no, I was very successful. I've been in the top 200, and you know, all kinds of stuff. Sure. Um, but uh, but, and but Jen, the, excuse me. The percentage of coaches, mortgage coaches, oh, mortgage yeah. teachers. It's yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we're and never... it is now a infinitesimal fraction of the ones that did have a successful mortgage practice at yeah. one time. Yeah. Well, and I and I um I say that I'm retired, and I am. I truly am. But I I'm focusing more on, and I'm not even focusing on it. But to keep me relevant, I'm staying in the market with a handful, like four realtors that I've worked with for years. And I'm not doing mortgages uh, on the front side. I mean, I shouldn't say front or reverse. I'm not doing traditional financing. I'm doing everything investor because that's always been my niche. My niche has always been investor financing 
And so now I'm doing fix and flips and multifamily and mixed juice and things like that that I've done for years. I'm Perfect. just focusing primarily on that just to keep me relevant and keep me in the marketplace. Still doing my mortgage coach total cost analysis, still listening to Barry Habib for MBS Highway, still have to have a plan, still have to have a, you know, a daily routine and, and create relationships with people. It's just in a little bit different market so that I don't have to do as much production so that I can focus on this, right? This right here, giving back so many things that, that I learned over, you know, all these years. And I continue to learn. I mean, I've learned from you. I, I took a couple of little notes that I'm going to um, give to my husband, and hopefully he won't say, yeah, whatever, stop giving <laughs> stop coaching me <laughs> and things that I can use too, that I can use to, you know, um, uh, make, create more efficiencies in what I'm doing as well. You know, so I, you know, I thank you for that. And I, I think that's really important for people to understand that too, is, you know, align themselves with great coaches, align themselves with people that are, you know, in the market, know what's going on in the market and have been successful. Um, even if it was, and I mean, there are some coaches that I'm seeing out there that were really, really successful, but they're still teaching old tactics. And I, I think you just got to stay up with the times. That's the key, key thing. Well, listen, well, sure. um, you don't, let me. Ken, you don't see a successful real estate agent who's focusing solely on REO and short sales today. Right. Market <laughs> changes. You have to stay dynamic. Well, those people that focus on REO and short sales and still focus on them are no longer doing business. You know, that's the problem. Right. That's the problem. They're they're suffering. Um, okay, so one last quick question. What are you reading right now? Oh, that's a good question. We're listening. Um, okay. Um, so uh, some of the things, uh, your podcast is great. Carl White's podcast is great as far as things to be listening to. Yeah. Um, it, it, there's some awkwardness in this, but I do love Ryan Steumann's writing style. And I really, and I consider Ryan a friend. We've spoken at different conferences together as well. Um, and if I had met Ryan 10 years earlier in my career when I was looking for more business, not better business, there probably would have been a really symbiotic relationship there. Um, but Ryan's books are definitely entertaining for anybody in sales. And I'll give uh, Chad Prio uh, a little plug because I think this is important for your audience. Chad's book is. Take Imperfect Action, The Art of Getting Shit Done. Oh, I love it. I love it. And Chad says, just do it. Just start doing it. You want to start doing video? Start doing video. Do not sweat the fact that your studio isn't perfect, your uh, green screen isn't right, your audio needs work, whatever the case may be. You can fine-tune these things as you go along, but take imperfect action now. I love it. I love it. You know, my book was supposed to be called Shut Up and Go Do It. Oh, exactly. <laughs> right. And my, my publisher said, that's a little brash. And I'm like, okay, fine. So we moved it to stop, talk, you know, stop talking, take action. But yeah, exactly the same thing. Uh, you know, the analysis paralysis, uh, you know, how many times has someone, has someone handed you a business card and said, don't go to my website because I'm revamping it again, because they tried to make it perfect in the beginning. And it ended up, they, they should have just built it as they discovered the imperfections, built it as they discovered what the needs were. Sure. And it drives me crazy that people talk, 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 and don't put anything into action. I love that. I love the title of the book. I wish I had thought of that, that title, too, because um, that's really, I just want to strangle people sometimes, you know. Understood. Well, and I think you just described the typical week's work for a new loan originator, a new real estate agent. 
Um, you know, we spent Monday figuring out how our business cards should look, and then we spent Tuesday working on our website, and then we uh, only worked half a day on Wednesday because we had to do this with the kids and this with the spouse. And then on Thursday, we spent half the day working on the business cards again, and then on the website in the afternoon. And Friday, we decided to cut out early because, hey, we're loan originators. We're real estate agents. Our schedules allow that. Yeah, and we never out. actually got any work done. Yeah, busyness versus business. It drives me crazy. So there's two books that, that just bring to my mind, and I'm sure I've mentioned them before, but, but one is the four-hour work week, and the other is the 12-week year. And I'm a huge advocate of both because I have five businesses that I run. Um, I used to have six. Now I don't have my big mortgage practice. Um, and you can't run successful businesses without you know, being efficient and being very focused on what you want to accomplish. And you can't be consumed with busyness. You have to be working on business all the time. I mean, it requires, this is what we started with, is it's work. It is work. And, it, you know, for anyone to think that they can come into lending or real estate or any business and think that they can just sit on their laurels, they're crazy. They're crazy. If you want true success, you know, and again, Success is determined by whatever one thinks. It doesn't have to be monetary. You know, I, I want to make that very clear. Of course, it doesn't have to be monetary. But if you want <laughs> true happiness, if that's what you're looking for, true success, that's where you're going to get it, is doing what you absolutely love to do and doing a lot of it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the key thing. It's not yeah. doing what you don't like to do and doing a lot of it. On that note, someone did once ask me, or when I get asked, I should say, what how do I define success? And there are three things in my mind that really make an impact with me. One, if I want to have 30, 40, 50 rolls of toilet paper stacked up on the shelf behind my toilet, I can do that. <laughs> I never, ever care that the guacamole is 99 cents extra and I park where I want. I won't drive around looking for the cheaper parking space. <laughs> That's awesome. Those, those are those are my three uh, requirements for personal success. I yeah, I love that. But you know, but that's but see, you know what it is, and so many people don't know what it is to them, and that that's part of the challenge is not knowing what you want truly, truly what you want, and so any path will get you there. You know, not working is okay because you don't truly know what you desire. And so knowing what you desire, will you will do anything. You'll walk across coals. You'll go through storms up, you know, uphill, back, you know, backwards to get to what makes you happy, you know. And so I think that's really cool. I love that. I lo and I love that it's so disconnected from what we do. That's hilarious. I Absolutely. It. I love it. Hey, it's been a pleasure, Adam. I, I can't wait to see you again because you know I'm from Colorado. And so next time I'm in town or next time I'm heading out, I'm going to get in touch with you in advance. I'd love to come and, you know, grab a cocktail with you and uh, talk more business and just see see you again. It was just great seeing you this year. And, I you know, I hope that we'll see you next year at MREV again. I promise. Minimum. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. It sounds good. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, love that you shared as much as you did um, and opened up your box of goodies for everybody. And I would just say to everybody who's listening, you know, again, and I say this a lot of times, if you're listening to this while you're working out or riding your bike or whatever, or driving in the car, you need to listen to it again and take some really good copious notes so that you can put these things into action. And um, how do we reach you, by the way? What's the best way to reach you if someone wanted to ask you a question or follow up with you? Oh, what's the best way to reach me? You guys already know just from listening that I love the phone. 
I'll give you the number. <laughs> it's it's three zero three seven seven zero two two six two. That's awesome. I love it. We know you love the phone, so that's it. So don't text him. Don't do any of that stuff. Call him. Call him. That's awesome. <laughs> and he'll put you in his database, and he'll call you every sixty to ninety days. There you go. <laughs> Just to check in. That's awesome. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and thank you for listening. Um, if this is the first time that you're listening, welcome. I hope you enjoyed it as well. If you're a veteran listening in, please pay this forward. Share it with your team. Share it with your uh, loan officers if you're a manager. Share it with your manager if you're a loan officer and you think your manager could learn some of these things that we're learning here today. And it, as always, Thank you, thank you, thank you for the wonderful comments I get um, on social media and the emails that you all send to me. Um, it's just very humbling, and I'm just thankful that I'm in a position now that I can share great people like Adam and great things that I've learned in my practice to help move your practice to new heights. So we will catch you next time on Mortgage Lending Mastery. Thank you for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Looking to streamline and launch your practice by accessing Jen's tools, courses, classes, presentations, and resources? Visit jenduplessis.com to learn about the features and benefits thousands of other professionals have experienced by enrolling in Jen's lifetime membership program. Isn't it about time you consider a coach to take your business to new heights? Contact Jen to start your application process today. Thanks again, and be sure to tune in next week.